0: What is up, Fathom fam? Y'all doing good? Good. You're doing amazing. That's why, right? You're doing amazing. So good to see you guys. Hey, if you're a guest here, uh, we don't make you do anything weird like stand on the chair and wave your hand or uh, sign up and, you know, put your social security number or anything like that in. Um, But we just want to tell you that we love you and we're thankful uh, that you're here. We've been praying for you before you even got here. Uh, Not by name, but now um, we get to connect the name with the the heart that we've uh, been praying for. So we're so thankful you're here. I'm, I'm joined by John Carl. Everybody get up for JC. Woo! Got Jesus Christ initials, you know. <laughs> Good morning, brother. Good
1: morning. Uh, I'm just not going to take a lot of your time, but I just got a few questions for you guys. One, how many of y'all have been on a mission trip? Raise your hand if you've been on a mission trip. Joseph, P. okay. Second question, how many of y'all feel like a missionary? How many of y'all feel like a missionary? All right, so, uh, I got some of them yeah. right. maybe. We'll, well, guess what, I got great news. All of you are missionaries.
0: You is, that great, is that great news? Let me, let me just ask a question. Uh, when I was um, in college, there was this girl that God felt, she felt like she was called to be a missionary, but she didn't want to accept that because she, and this is God honest truth, this is from her words, not mine. She said, I can't receive that call because every missionary I've ever seen is ugly. So God was calling me to be ugly. <laughs> I'm so dead serious, so sometimes that's scary. So... Um, Anyway, neither here nor there. sorry to interrupt you, but I thought it was ridiculous and funny.
1: (laughs) If you're consider yourself a useless follower, if you consider a believer, then guess what? You got called to be a missionary. You got called to be part of the Great Commission. You got called to proclaim forgiveness of sins, you got proclaimed salvation through his name, and you got called to make disciples. Now the question might be like, how did that look like? Because a lot of us can't travel. A lot of us well, don't have the time. We got kids. And all those questions that come about, there's like, well, I cannot be a missionary. Well, the fact is that when Jesus said to be a missionary, he says to all the nations. And that includes us here. Yeah. That includes the United States. That includes Jacksonville. And we even go back to the Luke chapter 24, 47. He even says to do all this in all the nations, begin in Jerusalem. Meaning, yeah. like, You need to start here. And so the question now is like, well, I've never been on a mission. Now what to do? <laughs> yeah. You don't know what to do. So, well, no worries. Pastor Kyle here. We are here to help you out. And uh, because we want to have uh, be a church that not only serves inward, but serve outward. Yeah. We want to reach not the one here, but even the ones out there. And so we're going to present little challenges every month um, that's going to cover some circles. This month, we're going to cover the neighborhood circle. Yeah. And the challenge of this month is very simple. Yeah. Meet your neighbor meet somebody that you haven't met yet. Maybe across the street, maybe it's the one two house down, maybe it's the next door to your left or next door to your right. But the challenge of this month is for you to meet a new neighbor. And the next week, we're going to have a short board, either in the back or somewhere. somewhere, And we're going to ask you to write the person that you met for the month. And we're going to have it right there. We're going to see all the new neighbors that we have met. And we're going to also pray for them. Because when I see that short board, I see all those names, somebody might sit down and just pray for them. So that's the challenge for this month. We're going to do this every month. We're going to cover all these circles. And we all, in a few months, we're going to see how we, all of us, we are missionaries.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Um, the, everything that God does in, in ministry and discipleship, it flows out of relationship, relationship with him, and relationships that he's put in our life already and so I, my prayer through this, we're going to call that the go moment. We're just going to, John Carly's going to come up and give us a go moment. He gives such inspiration. And there's a reason uh, he's the one doing that, because he lives that. Yes. He lives it. like He, he, he works uh, in an environment um, in which um, uh, most of us wouldn't last very long in. And, um, and he, he's so intentional uh, about that investment. Our, our county, our entire county has honored him that he's the best at what he does. Um, that he, he won the award last year, not this past year, the, the school year before uh, of uh, the, the, pro, the the pair pro of the year. And so, and it works with Esau uh, students, kids that are transitioning. And that's his story. And, and it's a ministry for him. He lives and breathes it. And so uh, I just honor you and love you, man, because you, you lead this and, and I think you're going to help all of us make those tangible next steps. Like, to meet our neighbors. Just, the, it's simple. Like, we got to start there. I'm not going to, like, you know, s- you know, save whatever, you know, go uh, off the world if I'm not just for, learn their name first. You know, so let's let's start there. And so uh, I'm excited. Uh, to, today we're going to wrap up our series uh, called ABCs of Financial Freedom. And you won't hear me talking a ton about finances. And you're going to be like, that's a little bit weird. The whole thing was called Financial Freedom. But uh, we're going to move to a text here in just a moment in Mark chapter 10, in which Jesus will talk about finances, but the finances aren't the point. It's the heart that, God's, that God, God is after. And so the C is kind of our last like third, third thing. We went with attitude. And last week we talked about Um, you know, being wise. And today we're going to talk about change. I think change in our culture is not something uh, that we think of something that's very useful in our life. And uh, for our family, we've got like a little family uh, collection jar, and it's for uh, family vacations. Our kids, we've got three kids, and they they enjoy throwing money uh, in there. And then when we get time for vacation, we get a hundred bucks or something in there. Like, hey, that's nice. It takes a a chunk off of a flight, or maybe it'll pay for uh, gas money where we're going, or something like that. And so they, they enjoy that, and so but a lot of oftentimes we don't think it is very useful. There was uh, there was this man, his name was Ira Keyes back in the nineteen fifties when he was about fifteen years old. His uh, his dad, who passed away not too long after that, but one of the, the the last kind of lessons he remembers taking from his father was, "Hey son, save your money. I didn't do good with my money, so save your money." So Ira took that to heart. And in 1952, when he was just a, a young man, he began saving pennies. Not nickels or dimes or quarters, just the pennies. And he began saving all these pennies and putting them back. And, and in 2015, he said, I guess it's time to cash him in after 60-whatever years. Uh, I guess uh, 60. Somebody will do better math than me. But um, he decides to cash them in. And he, at that time, it was uh, 81,600 pennies. 81,000. Yeah, pennies. Yeah, 81,600 pennies. You're like, dollars? That's a lot. That's a lot of pennies. No, 81,600 pennies, which if you do the math, it's only 816 bucks over like 60 years, which is like, (laughs) like for me, if I were to tell you the bank, I thought I had a million dollars in there, and you get there, and it's like depressing. You're like, seriously? You know, seriously? Eight hundred and sixteen dollars? Um, and so I got curious just reading that story. I read that story years ago, and I got curious about it as it, uh, I thought about it. I said, i got to do the research on this. What would that have been for Ira if he would have just invested it a little bit each time? So it, it turns out if you divide the amount of years from that time to 2015, it would be $63 a year that he could have invested. I mean, that time, he's 18 years old or something, when he could have started investing in that a year. If he would have invested that $63 a year over uh, that length of time, it would have turned out to be $33,639. 40 times um, what he did saving it and just kind of plugging it away and storing it. And so there's just this lesson that a little bit of change goes a long way when it's invested in the right place invested in the right place. And, and I think just like we were talking about this go moment, God's got you. He wants you to be invested. Taryn has been just keeps repeating this phrase that we, we shared in service a few, while, uh, a few weeks ago that we're not stuck, we're sent. We're sent, where God has us, and, and so, um, uh, so I'm thankful for, for what God's going to do in this time, and uh, I, I'm a basketball coach now, and which has made my voice really raspy, which I think actually helps me sing, but it does not help me preach any better, um, but my voice is real raspy because I'm like a yeller coach, like, like ah, I'm like eight-year-olds, and I'm just like going after them, I'm like, get your defense right, open stance, and, and so, but so I'm teaching Beckett uh, basketball, And there's a change in basketball. You guys know what I'm talking about in basketball? Like you get the ball, and if you make the shot, you just, you wave your hand, give me my change, give me my change. And so we get that, uh, you probably understand that. But Beckett doesn't, he he likes to twist the rules on that, you know? And so when he makes it, he wants his change. But when daddy makes it, change rules don't apply. And so I'm trying to teach him change rules do apply. and, And I felt like God was just revealing to me in that, that it's, it's like the, God, God tosses us the ball of obedience to be faithful with what he's entrusted us, the ball. And, and when we make the shot, it's it's obedience. We follow through with that. And, and when that happens, we, we get changed. Like when we're obedient and we cross that threshold to be obedient with what he's passed to us, we get changed. There's transformation that begins to happen in our life through obedience. And I'm so excited about what God's uh, doing in each one of your lives and the, the, the transformation that's taking place. start thinking about change. I think about people and uh, maybe some high school friends. Think about maybe your high school friends, maybe we've got some students or college students in here and it's not, not that far removed or you're still in it, but um, think about there's those high school friends that they haven't changed a bit. Same person, same hairstyle, you know what I mean? You can think about some of those funny hairstyles. I, I thought about it this morning, like about throwing my mini hairstyles that i've had over the years, and and that is the one thing that has changed most about me is all like some of you guys miss you'll see it in the video announcements, the big afro you know my hair just gets bigger that 's all um, when we launched the church, and so then there's those people who have changed so much, like they're not the same person you used to know you know you saw them at a reunion or when you went back home, and man they're just different, like they're so much better, or there's those on the other side in which they're They were awesome back in the day and like they're a hot mess now or whatever it is. Like they've changed for the worst. And and so there's this this change dynamic in our life in which we have a choice like to surrender and let God transform and and change us. And I I feel like in our culture, change is not a, a, a positive thing that we see taking place very much. I feel like in our political and social climate right now, everybody's dug in. You know, the right, the left, the middle, everybody's just dug in, and they're, and they're part, parties and, and dug in on our thought processes and ideologies, and, and that's why we kind of see this lack of of unity in our nation, because we're kind of dug in, and we're refusing to change. Like, the idea of changing someone's mind seems like a pipe dream. Like, whose mind are you going to change? Because everybody's so dug in, and so I want to talk about just that, that posture of change, and the change that, that God does in our life, and what he wants, and that that money is just a vessel in which he helps to transform us. And it's, an era, it's one area of many areas in which God wants to do, do some change in our heart. And so I want to look to uh, Mark chapter 10. We're going to look to a story that's often known as the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. So I'm going to read a, a little bit of a, a longer passage, about 14 verses. And then I want to process this and just see what God would speak to each of us uh, this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. And as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and and he fell on his knees before him. And he said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, don't murder and do not commit adultery and do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I've All of these I've kept since I was a boy, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. Don't miss that and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Uh, Then come and follow me. It's not it. It's not just go and sell everything. You got to come follow me on this journey. And at this, the, the the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had a lot of money. He had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed. They were really shocked at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved. Jesus looked at them and 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 said with man this is impossible but not with God all things are possible. Peter said to him, "We've left everything to follow you." I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, "No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundredfold, a hundred times as much in this present age, right now in this earth, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them also persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So earth and eternity, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Thankful for, for God's word that leads us to a tough text here, and I think we can jump into little passages and it scare us. What what does this mean? Is this like supposed supposed to be what everybody does, what every Christian does. And I think when Jesus asked a when we ask God a question and we've always got questions for God. Why not this time? Why not this way? What do you want me to do with my life? We we've got all these questions and so many times God doesn't give us an answer, He gives us another question. Because what we do when we ask a question is we want to draw attention to what we think is important. And when Jesus responds with a question, he's drawing our attention to what is most important. He's drawing the man's attention away from what he thinks important to what is really important. And that's his whole heart, his whole heart. So uh, we've got three children. They're eight, five, and two. And uh, if you haven't been around kids much, they ask a lot of questions, especially at eight, five, and two, particularly the five-year-old uh, is in that question phase, like everything. And, and uh, with one child asking questions, they don't just ask one question, they ask the same question about a hundred times until you give them another answer. And even when you give them an answer, they'll go ask the other parent in our, in our case, to see if they get another answer that they like. And how many times do we do that with God? We just keep asking a question. If he doesn't give it, we'll kind of ask another preacher or ask somebody else who's going to give us the answer we want. And so to deal with the chaos of questions with three children, I've developed a technique, which is just to start asking them questions. And um, hey, like Beckett's big thing is he wants to stay up late. When am I going to be able to stay up late? Because for those of you that weren't here, it's been months ago, I, t- I talked about it, but the kids at school started calling him 7.30 bedtime. Like that was his pick on him nickname is 7.30 bedtime because he goes to bed at 7.30 because mom and daddy are toast and ready for the kids to be in bed at 7.30. And so... Uh, so I just respond to his question with more questions like, uh, you know, why do you want to stay up late and find that out? Well, I want to watch the basketball game, okay? Well, I go further from that. Do you uh, do you not know that you need rest every night? Do you not know that your mom and dad are about to, to lose it? Do you, do you want us to lose it? Like, go to bed. Do you not know that? Do you... Do you want to, like, be um, bad in school because you haven't got enough sleep? And so I, I move it I get past there, and I start threatening him. Like, Do you want to lose sleep, and you'll fail out of school and be on the street, you know? Do you want that? And so just put the pressure on, so just a little parenting technique there. Slide that in. Um, no, I really, I really don't go that far with it, but we get exhausted by, by those questions. But questions that God asks us are important, and I think he's going to ask, like he asked to the rich young ruler, I think he's going to ask something in our heart for us to search our heart and to see what he might be speaking through this text. Um, a lot, we ask questions for a lot of reasons. Sometimes we ask a question because we want to learn. Like, we, that's a good reason to ask a question, because I actually want to learn. Sometimes we ask a question um, because we're trying to trap somebody. Beckett will come up and ask me something about dinosaurs or, or, or plants or something that he learned in school that day and and. I have no idea. And the only reason he comes to me to ask that question is not for the answer, but just to prove to me how smart he is and how dumb I am. And so I'm like, thank you. So I no, I have no idea any of this stuff. And uh, it go on. And, and so we ask questions sometimes to, to trap people. You ever had somebody do that and they're, they're asking you a question, but really they're just trying to trap you or show you how not smart you are and how smart they are. Uh, sometimes uh, we'll ask a question just for appearance sake just so it looks like we're a good student. Just because we know, like, good students ask good questions and they're engaged. Every teacher uh, thinks that and coach wants that. Like, ask me questions. And sometimes we'll ask the question just to make it seem like we're really plugged in when we're really not. And I think for this guy, this rich young ruler, I think it's a combination of the second and third reason that he wanted to trap God, but I think he, he really just wanted to come. And so he he says, good teacher. Like, he he falls on his knees and, like, he's... What I call, he's buttering Jesus' toast, you know? If you know what that phrase means, somebody I, t- I said that to somebody this morning, they're like, I've never heard that in my life. Have you guys heard that? No? buttering. T- you know what it means, though? Like, I'm trying to suck up, you know? He's trying to suck up to Jesus because he uses this phrase, good teacher, that no rabbi even uses, let, let alone this, this young man. So he's using this to, to try to suck up, and Jesus responds by, by turning his attention like why why do you call me good, and it 's not because uh, god isn't uh, good, and he goes on to list the ways in which this man probably defines goodness in his own life and how good he is because he really just wanted to show how good he was doing that 's why he asked the question hey i 'm perfect Jesus, have you noticed like i'm I'm keeping all of these rules i've done all those things since I was a a child and and, and Jesus is turning his attention to Um, really deeper into what this man says, which is, uh, what do I have to do? The the man's attention is on doing, it's on works, and, and whether we want to or not, maybe you grew up in a house in which it was all about performance. Just think about that. It was about your grades being right, and it was about acting right all the time, and hey, like, parents I get it we struggle with this like because like we do need to call our kids to a higher standard we do need to train them up in the way they should go but we can do that in grace and not based off of that and, and like their love and our love and acceptance is not based off of that is it, you know what I'm talking about so um, but but I think we struggle with this idea of being kind of works focused and being focused on what we do because of our upbringing and our home our religious environments you grew up in which it was about the checklist. It was about keeping the rules and what happens out of that. One is what the New Testament tells us is that brings death. Like it doesn't lead anywhere good. And if you've ever lived kind of under that kind of religious environment internally or in that home, eventually it kind of it rots us. It rots us. And so what I want us to, to understand is, is that what Jesus is pushing him deeper into that, look, you've done all these things and yet it's still not enough. It's, it's still not enough. You've done all these things, but you're, you're missing. I think um, when he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's kind of like a student or think back when uh, you're in school. I'm, I'm looking at, at a high school or down here. And, and if you're prepping for a test that's coming up and you start thinking how many hours do I have to study for this thing or how long is this going to take me? And we're usually thinking, what's the minimum I have to do to pass? You ever been in those? It's busy. Some of you are in college Uh, right now. You've been in that class. What's the minimum I have to do to get by? But we still do that in our workplace, you know, what's the minimum I have to do to not get fired? What's the minimum hours I have to be here? Uh, what's the minimum I have to do as a spouse to not have my, my spouse mad at me, you know, for them to not leave me? What's the, and some of us, we live that way. We just live that way. And what this man is basically saying, hey, what's the minimum? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? And Jesus is saying all this stuff. And yet still, that's not because salvation is not based on our goodness, it's not based on, on what we can do. So he found himself still lacking after he had done everything perfect since he was uh, a little boy, since he was a little boy. And he says this phrase, one thing uh, you, you lack, one thing you lack. I, I want to share just a few thoughts on, on God's heart for you and how much he loves you. I think it begins here with one thing you lack, because God loves you enough to challenge you to change. I remember hearing a phrase a long time ago, and it's, um, yeah, it just left my brain. It was that good. It was that good. No, it it really was. Uh, The phrase is, um, God accepts you the way you are, even though the way you are is unacceptable. Like that, that was a phrase that really rung with me for many years. God accepts you the way you are even when the way you are is unacceptable. Like we're flawed, but he, he loves us. And so our, our change and our transformation doesn't happen to receive his acceptance. It's from a place of acceptance. Like we, we move from that place, that transformation happens because we've already uh, are loved and, and uh, uh, been accepted. And so God loves you enough to challenge you. And I think for each of us in, in your life, uh, in, in my life, there is a line of obedience that we are unwilling to cross. Uh, this morning, uh, it's been a long week to say the least, uh, a lot of traveling um, around uh, in Florida, and um, th- thankfully got some good rest last night, but uh, I set my alarm for five and, and snoozed that baby real nice, and Taryn slapped me at 5 and like, hey, baby, you probably need to get up, and, and uh, I was texting with somebody last night because I was just exhausted, and I said, hey, you're preaching tomorrow <laughs> and uh, I'm just tired. I'm going to give it to you. And I, I was just uh, being uh, joking and, and uh, they didn't think it was funny at all, but, uh, I did, you know, smiling as I text. You ever do that? Like, you know, when you like, think something's real funny and you start smiling and you're just laughing at your own stupid joke. So, um, <laughs> I do that way too often. Um, but I was traveling, I was exhausted, and so maybe, maybe you are in that place this morning, you are exhausted, and when it comes to the line of obedience, like you just felt like something in your heart in which God said, no, 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 you need to wake up and, and you need to go today. You need, you need to be there today. And so that wasn't a line of obedience that you were unwilling to cross because you woke up and you're here today. So you, you were willing to obey up to that line, but hey, if it was something like what God asked this young man, this young man of wealth, um, of this one thing you lack, sell everything you've got. I'm guessing across the room, that would be a line of obedience that was too far. I've heard one pastor call this line the threshold of scary, right? There's this place in which it goes beyond my comfort zone and it's scary in this life with the Lord. I think some of us, um, we have believed that this journey with God is, is gonna be comfortable, and it's not, we cannot walk in obedience over the course of our life. And, and I said this uh, the other day, we can't reach to the edge of the borders that God has called us to in our God-given potential without faith. Like we can't. You can get so far in your strength and, and your wisdom and, and your works, but you cannot reach the edge the edges of the tent poles that God has for your God-given potential without crossing that threshold of scary to be obedient. Because there is so much more that God has us, has for us if we... Uh, will walk in faith, but God challenges us to move beyond that. And he says, this one thing you lack, this one thing you lack. I think when it comes to the Lord, I don't like to compartmentalize our faith, but I think sometimes it helps to think about the areas. I think we can trust God in certain areas, and then so, and with that, say, I trust God. And when we trust God in certain areas, but we don't trust him holistically in everything, the reality is that that is an ongoing life journey in which we will be transformed more and more to walk in that obedience. And so let, let's kind of categorize it for a second. Like uh, when I first said, yes, I trusted God with salvation to inherit eternal life, right? Yes, I'd rather go to heaven than hell. Like, amen. I can trust you in that, God. Uh, And then, like, a couple years later, I I get challenged with the word. I read the word, and and it asks me to trust God with my finances. And, and like, man, that's a struggle for me because I'm really controlling. I like to have all my money. And then I learn to trust God. In my finances, and and then my sexuality, I'm like, "What do you mean, God? You you care about what I do in the bedroom? You care about uh, the way I, I look at my body and the way I look at other people's bodies? Yeah, yeah." yeah. So I have to learn to trust God, and that we go around in the, in these categories, and and so just because you trust God, no, no, let's talk about kind of category. I think it just helps us to discern in our heart where we're really at in this, because with this man, it seemed that he was doing everything right but there was one thing he lacked. There was one area in which God knew his heart was unsurrendered, and the results showed it. And I would guess in our heart, in our life, and I think it's, it's gonna go from season to season, there might be an area in which, hey, God's pressing on today, and there's one thing we lack. And, and the way I, I view this uh, is, the, the, the word is hysteria, which when we think of that, we think like you know losing it. Uh, when Jesus says this one thing, you lack. But but the Greek, really the thought there is you've left something behind. It's kind of the word you would use. But one thing you left behind in all your good works, one thing you left behind is stereo. Um, I say it more like a Spanish accent because I don't know Greek language to speak it. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, I heard some light applause there. So, Uh, and so I got this picture in my head of getting packed up on a trip, which for a family of five, we're, we're going on a little vacay here in, in a couple of weeks, and, and uh, we're headed to Nashville, and so I am just envisioning what that process to pack the whole family up, because Dad's in charge of packing the trunk, and uh, putting it all together. My wife said amen to that. So, um, and so it's just exhausting to get everything in there. We get all packed up and we've got the key to the cabin that the family sent to us and we make it uh, on the 10-hour drive and we get all the way to the cabin. Everything's packed up and we get there and we forgot the key to get in the door to our cabin pretty pretty depressing thought but this is what we do with the Lord we kind of get everything together and we try to present ourselves to him but hey one thing you lack and i love this that jesus when jesus challenges us it's out of love like he looked at him he was not like get your act together Don't you want like what I've got for you? Do you not trust me? And I think some of us, we've got these images of previous religious experiences or these images burned in our our retina and on our heart from our upbringing in which it was a a wagging finger or a God that's ready to strike us dead. And, and, And look at the scriptures. Look at the face of Jesus because he looked at him lovingly. He said, he looked at him compassionately. And he said, hey, one thing you lack, man. I'm sorry to bring the bad news that you've left the key at home. But, but this is it was kind of important. And we need this in order uh, to enjoy this ride. And so you've got to know that God loves you enough to challenge you. The second thing is God loves you enough to fight for all of your heart. Let's talk about this. He loves you enough to fight for all of it, not just pieces of it. When I think about the characteristics of God, If I would define him and we would start naming across the room, how would you describe the characteristics of God? We'd say he's good and and, and he's graceful and he's merciful and he's sovereign and he's just. And and we'd say all these things. And and I doubt that many of us would come to one of the, the, the defining characteristics and traits of God that personally has always been tough. And it took me some time to wrap my brain around what this meant, that God had this quality because I always have negative association with it and it's that God is jealous. You know, of all the ways we describe him, that's the one that's like, man, there's kind of a negative connotation to that. We, we think we need to get rid of jealousy, and, and there is jealousy we, that we need to uproot from our life, but there is a purity to God's jealousy that we can't quite understand uh, fully, um, but it's a beautiful picture to see. When, when Taryn and I had just started dating. I'm a quality time guy, and we had done nine hours of long distance for two years. It's a long time for long distance, and if you're long distance in the room or listening on podcasts, like if it's meant to be, it's gonna last, you know, because otherwise, there ain't, it ain't worth it otherwise, you know what I mean? It's just not worth it, and uh, when we would get together, I'd drive down on a break or, or holiday, and, and we'd hang out, and, and, uh, and I'd find myself getting really mad as we would drive down the road, and she'd pick up the phone and talk to somebody, I would get furious, one, because I'm a quality time guy, and we haven't gotten quality time. This is my time, and I'm not a jealous type where I'm like jealous of someone looking at her um, or, or anything like that or previous boyfriends, but in these moments, I, w- I would just be jealous. I was jealous for time with her. I was jealous for all her attention, and, and don't we know that that's the way God sees you? That, that's the way he sees your heart. Like every like nook and cranny and corner in the cabinet, like, he, he wants all of it. And he's not afraid of it because he loves you. Like, you, we're afraid. We've got the closet closed. We've got the, the cabinets closed. No, no, it's okay. Open it up because you're accepted the way you are, even though the way you are is unacceptable. And he's calling us beyond that. He loves you enough to challenge you. And he loves you enough to fight for all of your heart. I'm so, I'm so thankful for that. We, we all have a perception when it comes to money, though, like if you had to define your relationship with money right now, how would you define it? Just a word or two, scarcity, you know, there's plenty, uh, I love it, I hate it, shopping, you know, I don't know what words come to your mind, new shoes, I don't know what come to mind um, with you, but, but I want you to know this, that, that money's not a curse, it can be a curse, but money's not a curse, it, it, it's a gift that, it, that God entrusts us with, uh, that's given to provide for our needs, to provide for the needs of others, to bless others, and to carry forth the kingdom of God. To care for our needs, and like we've got all our things of what we want, and that's great, and I always have to sit down with my kids and describe need and wants, right? And so we got a lot of things that we want, but they aren't needs. We aren't needs, and it helps to strip it back get in this place of really what we understand what money really is and what it's for. Um, because the question, the question that Jesus is pointing into with this young man is that he loves money more than he loves Jesus. If we look at that category, he loves money more than loves Jesus. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have asked him to sell everything, you know, to, to give it all. And, and just like I said, like, I think there's a, a line of obedience. I think there's a percentage of obedience when it comes to our money. Like, I trust you up to 8%, up to 4%, up to 10%. I do not trust you to 11%. I don't trust, you know what I mean? I don't, you, I don't trust you to 100%. You know, I'm scared to death of that, the scripture. I'd rather not read it again and think about this. But th- I think there's a percentage probably in our heart in which we trust God up to that amount. But here's the beauty of it, is when we're unwilling to pass that threshold, uh, we're also unable to receive his strength to do things that are impossible to do things that don't make finite sense, that don't even make money sense, that that confounds the ways of man. And God wants us, and he loves you enough to give you the strength to change. He does. This man walked away with sadness, and here Jesus takes this as a teachable moment for his disciples who have sacrificed a lot. And he says a phrase that for anyone who has a healthy bank account or anything in the room, uh, frankly, a phrase that scares us. It's difficult for the um, rich to enter the kingdom of God. And if you're uh, among the wealthy in the room, like this kind of just stirs your heart and you say, say, what? Talking about me? You know, because you know where your tax bracket is, and you know how you're doing it in your savings account and your bank account, and this is hard you got to like process it what do you what is Jesus saying? But I think when we take just that line and we don't understand the whole thing of what Jesus is teaching we'll miss it because he uses a figure of speech to say. It's difficult, like a camel entering through an eye of a needle. It's basically impossible. And so, if we stop there, we'll be like, who can be saved? And then this guy walks off, and the disciples are still struggling with this. And Jesus goes a step further. He said, Look, with man, it's impossible. If you do this on your own strength, it's impossible won't happen because you will find yourself relying completely on your comfort. We get it. I mean, who has to trust God more? The person on the street who literally has no bread and is waiting for somebody to come and drop change and God to provide their next meal or the person who never thinks about if there's money in the account swiping? Like, who has to trust God more? Like, it's kind of obvious to us why Jesus is saying what he's saying. But Jesus goes on further to explain this, that no, no, no. It's not that he can't, he can't enter in his own strength. And the man who has wealth can more easily rely on his own strength. And so I just say, for those of you in, in the house that find yourself comfortable, allow God to lead you past your comfort. Just like he's led the person who's lost their job and who's on the street. Like, allow him to lead you past your comfort. Because if not, we're not being faithful with the opportunity, we're not going to get any change. We're going to get comfortable. We are going to rely, and it is difficult for us to enter the kingdom of God in that place. And so he loves you enough to give you the strength to change. I love a passage in John chapter 6 in which Jesus has uh, fed the 5,000. He's walked on water, and I think just after that, and so all these amazing miracles in Jesus' ministry, and and, uh, Jesus drops uh, like a bomb on the disciples, another uh, opportunity, and he goes, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood literally the creepiest statement Jesus ever said, right? I mean, so creepy. Some people believe that like the, the body and in, in, uh, bread of Jesus that we talk about uh, symbolically with the Lord's Supper actually turns into Jesus' body and blood. It's called transubstantiation. Big word, probably doesn't uh, mean a lot to you today, but, but that's a belief we, we don't uphold. Uh, we, we believe it's symbolic representation and that's what Jesus is speaking about here, that you must eat. And, he, and his disciples, their response is this. This is a hard teaching. And Jesus replies to their, dude, that's heavy or gross. I don't know what they're thinking. Um, and he replies to them, does this offend you? See, when we're in this works based, keeping all the rules, and, and if we've got a perspective that, that God can't challenge us, if, if we've got this comfort level, this, this line of obedience, this, this threshold of scary that we're not willing to, to cross, we'll get offended at the difficult things that God asks us to do. The, the, the steps of obedience that feel uncomfortable to us because we've painted everything as kind of roses and butterflies and, and, and there's a challenge to it. If you look into what we're gonna move into here in just a second, God calls us beyond that and, and he goes on and talks about all these amazing blessings, right? I wanna read that again and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna close um, here. Uh, let's begin with verse twenty nine uh, well, 28. Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Um, home as brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them also persecutions. He just like slips that in there. All these amazing things. You're gonna receive all these other things. There's also gonna be some persecutions. It's not all gonna be flowers and butterflies. Uh, and, and in the age to come, and so the last thing I just a couple things I just want to share is what you give up, what you trust God with, what you sacrifice will not even compare to what he has prepared for you. What the return is uh, in this earth and in eternity and we, we can talk about sowing. And I ended the sermon last week with talking about sowing. To be faithful to sow, just think uh, uh, about Ira Keys, who, uh, for just, if he would have just sewed that in the right place, if he would have just sewed that change, the transformation of that bank account over 65 years or so uh, would be phenomenal. And so invest in, so it does not even compare. Ira Keys was 40 times, and we're like, that's amazing, he should have done that. And Jesus says 100 times, hundred times. Just think about a, a, a multiplication of a hundred in earthly blessing. Think about a multiplication of a hundred in eternal blessing. That's what God promises. And it's not all going to be rose and butterflies. It's not all going to be in the way we think about, but every way in which God brings that blessing to us will far outweigh anything else we've sacrificed or given up along the way. And that blessing comes through obedience. It comes through a transformation of our heart. To say, God, you can can have it all, even that one thing I lack. But for this rich young ruler, it was too much. His heart was not postured or positioned to obey past that line. That was the area we don't speak about. Uh, That that this is the area in which I'm unwilling to surrender. And he walked away sad. Sad. Uh, Last thought is this, this, this journey that God calls us on, this journey of transformation. It's a lifelong journey. That's what discipleship is. And it's, it's a lot to, to process that, but it, it's our whole life. And so just settle into it, that it's a journey of transformation. If you're here today and, and you've been a believer, you've been a follower of Jesus, son and daughter of God, for any stretch of time, 50 years, five months, um, whatever it is in your life, and there's not transformation, um, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Um, because he, he loves us enough to challenge us. And so it's either our obedience that's the issue, or, or we're really not in communion. We're really not in a relationship. Because I said to some friends of mine at the and I was reflecting back at the beginning of, of last year before we announced this movement of our, our renovation expansion that we were moving into. And, uh, and they're going through some tough times and they feel like they're up against a wall. And I, and I just had this phrase that I just said, I don't care what happens, but we can't stay here. And, and I don't know if some of you are up against that wall in your own life that said, hey, I, I don't know what's got to change, but we, I can't stay here. And and some of us, we've insulated ourselves of comfort, and God wants to call us beyond that. And so just settle in your heart this journey, this journey of transformation, that God's, it's our fourth core value of divine vision, that God has this vision for our life. And we always say, just kind of shorthand quoting Philippians 1.6, that God's not finished yet. As good as the last year was, as bad as the last year was, God's not finished yet. So settle your heart to the journey of transformation. Allow him to do it. Whatever whatever he calls you to do, the blessing's gonna far outweigh it. It's gonna far outweigh it. And so be faithful in that, be faithful in that. Eugene Peterson, a pastor and theologian who wrote the message translation of the Bible, more conversational, 21st century version, you know, he said this phrase, success is long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Just keep at it. Just be faithful. Like success is just that long obedience. Like God, God's not gonna leave you. Like we sang earlier, we're not forsaken. He's not gonna leave us. And so just keep keep going. Keep at it. So I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know where this is landing for you. Frankly, I don't know the one thing you lack. But let's just Let's, let's stand, and we're going to pray and sing here in just a moment. And frankly, I, I don't care if you sing this song with us. Here's what I do want. I want you to search your heart like David did. and just said, search me, Lord, and, and, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me, God. See if there's something that I'm withholding from you. Would you search me, God? Would you, all over again, would you just bring me back to this place? because I don't want to show up at the cabin and not have the key to get in and enjoy the blessings, God. I don't want to make it all about my hands and what I can do, God, the work of my hands. I want to make it about your goodness and your blessing, God. Would you lead us on today, Father? We, we open our arms, we open our hearts to simply say we trust you, God. Here I am. Send me, God. I'll be a vessel for you. I'll be a vessel of obedience, God. God, I pray you would challenge us, challenge us to move past that threshold of scary today. Whatever you're calling us to, if it's a relationship, whatever that step of obedience, to get involved in a ministry team, to start a business, whatever it is, God, to trust you in our finances, whatever it is, God, that we'd cross that threshold today. and Be faithful. We look back in, in just awe of how you've transformed us over the years, God. So we thank you for this time and give you praise for it. In Jesus' name. Next few moments, there's going to be some folks at the crosses that love you and would love to just partner with you in prayer. If you're just up, one of those things, maybe a, first, a grace, great first step is to come to someone and be like, hey, I need prayer over this because I, I, it's, it's a threshold. I got a cross and I need God's strength. I can't do it on my own. And just to join with them in prayer. But come on, let's make our heart open to just what God's speaking to us individually. And I, and I believe that, that some of us this week, God's going to challenge us. Uh, challenge us there's going to be a threshold that shows up. It's going to hit us and we know what it is. So just smile when it happens because it's a, it's a setup from God for us to step past that. And there's some transformation that's going to happen through that. There's some surrender. There's some faith. There's some new territory that God's going to take in our heart and in our city. So I love you, church. Uh, thank you guys. Let's, let's worship.